cast iron brains. A podcast that is just what this country needs right now. A reboot of a beloved piece of intellectual property from decades past, reconsidered with the wit and wisdom of maturity and all other boring nuances that come with age. But have we fully considered the consequences? Are we taking up too much space? Have we examined all of the ways in which our mere presence can be a violence perpetrated against those who are silenced by our voices? And since we live in a fully consequentialist world, where our intent is interesting only insofar as we use it as a shield against criticism, a defense that is itself immediately turned back against us in our various privileges, and only our impact matters here, ah, but no matter. Tomorrow we will podcast faster, stretch out our blogs longer, and one fine morning we will look back, memes against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How you doing, Lori? I'm fine. Are you okay? I'm great. Don't sound great. Thanks for asking. Are you at, You're welcome. Are you at zero dollars, Bob? Have you lost all your winnings over the weekend? How dare you? I'm up 71. <laughs> what a great weekend for me. Yeah. Did you enjoy that Super Bowl? It, no, it was a terrible Super Bowl. Like, nothing happened. It was just, <laughs> ugh. But, you know, I won. There was a streaker. I mean, I was debating with somebody whether that's considered a streaker because he wasn't fully in the nude. Like, can you be a streaker if you just run drunkenly or do you have to be naked? No. Streaking implies that you're okay. naked. He was in like a, a thong bodysuit, yeah, but, but he was also yeah. wearing he was also wearing shorts. So it didn't count. And I don't think it, it counts just if you're stupid, not naked. It was just a stupid commercial, as everything else in this oh, was that a godforsaken <laughs> fallen world is. It was just a rotten commercial. Well, this wasn't a promotional they cut thing. away from it. It wasn't a successful commercial. Yeah, what, it was. It got written up all over the internet what were with the, the name of the guy. Speedos? He's advertising some YouTuber who was like oh. deplatformed or something. Well, they did a pretty. I, I don't know who this person on YouTube is. Right? They didn't do a very good job at right. it. Right? No, you would have had to. You you had to follow up. Oh. Like the the whole gimmick is that oh a streaker and then you go and they do a million stories on the Super Bowl streaker and if half of the stories mention the name emblazoned on the thong bodysuit that he was wearing, then successful advertising. They used to not right? show. The, cr- the drunkard running around. It's, they didn't. The, I mean, they showed it for a good while. They're just on them. I was like, why are they showing this? And then they cut away eventually. Somebody was just asleep at the wheel, I guess. There's some alternate angle where, and I love this. I don't know what it is about these security people. I don't know what's it to them, but there's always one person that goes above and beyond. Like, this person is drunk, out of shape. They're going to gas out pretty quickly, right? But there's always one person trying to, like, save the day, play the hero. And there's, like, this other similarly fat guy trying to tackle him and he just right. falls on on the field right what are you doing man you make you making 15 50 an hour or whatever to work security at the super bowl <laughs> let the show play yeah, out I, you're more likely to get hurt just let let the guy just run out Abe, you mentioned uh gambling i did do a little bit of gambling on the super bowl it's legal here in virginia now you know Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I didn't gamble. I was uh, It's illegal in Georgia, so I guess I misspoke. Right, obviously. 
And as I uh, predicted last week when I said that uh, FanDuel was giving away money for that basketball game yeah. where I, you bet and then it's like a, a basically a giveaway of $50. Yeah. I predicted that I would immediately hand all of that money right back to FanDuel, and I successfully did that. You should have bet on that. Right. <laughs> Taking the under or the push. The good news is I've learned my lesson, and I will be a much more sophisticated gambler moving forward. Like a top hat? Yes. Uh, so the Bucks won. Chiefs lost. Brady gets his seventh Super Bowl. Abe, is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? <laughs> He's the greatest quarterback of all time, yes. What does that mean? And by what metric you know, are you judging by the winning metric. Tom Brady's quarterback <laughs> skills? I think a winning metric might Besides be a good metric. Besides just the accumulation of titles. Right. Abe, did you or did you not see the Michelob Ultra commercial starring some of our nation's finest and our world's finest athletes? A Michelob Ultra commercial that suggested that, in fact, winning isn't everything. That, in fact, grasping for happiness over and over and over again throughout life can end up leaving you ultimately wanting. Right. And that it's the process that matters. Right. Tell that to Michael Jordan, first of all. Yeah, Michael Jordan guy didn't seem like he had a lot of uh, fun, but he won. Very compulsive in so his way. So because Tom Brady has seven rings, he's the greatest of all time? Well, I mean... I think Whatever. because he did did that at 43. He did it old, with, drinking his goofy milkshake or whatever the hell he eats. Um, and he's been, he's played for over 20 years. He's thrown a million yards. He's thrown a million touchdowns, right? So whatever standard there is, he's up there at the very least. And then the seven titles put him over the top. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, at this point... He's got a pretty good resume, right? And so, like, well, it's so the, a better question. If he's not, who is? Right. Almost anyone else who you can that put is in the argument. A cop out answer, and I Wait, so hate that you're making me defend yeah. Tom Brady. It's yucky <laughs> what you're doing to us here. I'm not asking you to defend Tom Brady. You are simply adhering to this top-down authoritarian status it's quo that Tom that Brady gonna, is the greatest of all time. If you're going to say there is a greatest quarterback. I don't see right. anyone else who could be right. better. Right, which is why I sort of disagree that it's a conversation worth having in the first okay, place. Okay, well, then don't start the conversation that way. Right. It would be one thing to say, like, it is kind of silly and you couldn't differentiate to the point to where you could say this person is better than that person. You can have, like, tiers, like he's in the top tier with a few a handful of quarterbacks. That's one argument. But if you are going to rank them, it's harder to find a better resume than his. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's, the resume is... Absolutely impeccable, save for his time against uh, the great Eli That's Manning. Right. And thank God for Eli Manning. Boy. Seriously. <laughs> holy shit. Imagine a world where Tom Brady has nine. nine. It's crazy. Crazy. He wasn't even, like, he was obviously not as good as Patrick Mahomes last night. Like, in, by, the way. by, by every... <laughs> Patrick Mahomes kind of sucked last he, night. No, Mahomes was amazing it's last night. It's remarkable how he's like falling on the ground and he just throws the ball and it's like almost no, he's amazing. It's like what the hell? That, yeah, he's amazing. It, that one, that one play, it must have been end of the third quarter or maybe even deep into the fourth quarter, when he is parallel with the ground, yeah. Yeah, about the two feet, two feet off the ground. <laughs> 
completely laid out sideways right. with his arm like under him right. and he fling and he's at the 20 yard right. line and he f- he flings a bullet yeah. that somehow even though he's only 2 feet off the ground is somehow immediately like 8 yeah. feet off the ground <laughs> and then is a frozen rope to a receiver i think it was uh, one of their running backs right. at the at the goal line who jumps up and it goes right through his yeah. hands and hits him in the face <laughs> And he doesn't make the catch. It's like it was the the most emblematic play of the entire game was all right there, which is that Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, is running for his life as this unstoppable defensive line, the front four of the Bucks are after his ass. And he gets away from them over and over again, like four different times, (laughs) and then makes a perfect throw. And then the fucking Chiefs guy cannot make a play on it. That game was 21 to 9, despite the fact that so that was a it was and I, and for most of the game afterwards it was like twenty eight to nine right. right that was the the bulk of the second right. half twenty eight to nine it was a game that easily could have been twenty eight to twenty one right because right. they had three scoring possessions right. they were very nearly within right. striking distance in a game that they were thoroughly dominated right. in all throughout right. the defensive and offensive lines of the Bucks absolutely owned uh, the line of scrimmage in that game and then you throw that in with the just pure garbage officiating in the in the first half. By the way, this had nothing to do with anything, or maybe it does. This weekend, uh, the week leading up to the Super Bowl, we're getting some emails, um, and they're saying one of our coworkers is going to be officiating the Super Bowl. And I just kind of laughed when uh, it was like one of the side judges or whatever. But I just thought it was funny. Like maybe it was that guy who was fucking up uh, with the yeah. thing. But it was like IRS so agent. Somebody at the IRS yeah. in your office yeah. has Not a side gig. The That's office, amazing. But yeah. There's an IRS employee who was officiating Super Bowl. Which it goes to show you how little this doesn't seem legal. Work is involved doing IRS stuff. Like, ah, what are you doing this weekend? Oh yeah. <laughs> just officiating the Super Bowl. I said to you Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whenever Patrick Mahomes won the last game, something about he's clearly the best person playing the quarterback position right ever, Uh, like now and also ever, just from what I'm looking at. And you poo-pooed me (laughs) and said, nah, he's a lot like a rich man's Michael Vick. Like, he's so much better a lot richer. than no, no, no. anyone ever, clearly. If he stays healthy, he will go on to be the greatest quarterback, but he needs to talk to Tom Brady about his method yeah, needs, and his flexibility. His pliability and all that nonsense, yeah. The pliability sphere. But, like, Patrick Mahomes is clearly a better quarterback than anyone ever, but it's whether or not he will continue to be. Right, and that's sort of what I'm... And I did not simply call him a rich man's Michael Vick. <laughs> you said, said to me. I, well, no, what I, you said was, has, have you ever, has anyone ever done it like this before in a way where he appears to be like playing a different game? And my response was when Michael Vick was doing what Michael Just Vick was doing, around, yeah. he was like he was like cheating. Yeah. When you watched Michael Vick on a football field at the height of his powers – he was playing a different game than most of the other people on the field. Now he was a moron as it turns yes. out, not just off the field, but also like 
just not the best decision maker. He didn't have the best. He didn't have any of Brady's yeah, ability. Yeah, you said he's like Michael Vick with a better Michael Vick with a better brain, right? And better work ethic. I think he would almost brag that he didn't study and like, oh, I just run around and throw the ball. What do, what do I need to right. study? Vick, Vick would be like, yeah, I showed up on Wednesday. What's the problem? Uh, game's not till Sunday. But <laughs> meanwhile, during that fucking game. I thought Brady and Nance largely had a bad game. Uh, Not Brady. Yeah. Uh, Romo. Romo and Nance were less than stellar, and they're usually pretty fun to what listen to. What was wrong to. with them? Well, to be fair, we had a room full of yelling children the entire game, <laughs> well, so we couldn't really half, hear them. Anyway. For the entire fun, interesting part of the yeah, game. Right. The second half wasn't... But at, yeah. at one point towards the end, Romo or Nance says something about Tom Brady's 5 a.m. Monday morning... Uh, meetings that he would show up for and like shame other players and coaches to showing up for like that is the most bullshit try hard nonsense to show up on monday morning at 5 a.m well, you know, to start eating tape okay and if you're about to say something to me about you can't argue with the results no, 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 I'll no, fucking no. i'm just saying you. why right. is it because when we were talking about uh the last dance and michael jordan and i was like this guy is an obnoxious little prick but you know he won so whatever how come he didn't get the same courtesy this tom Br like he is very obnoxious just like that uh kobe guy was very obnoxious people like that i never like where they're like oh you have to do I things think my the, way the biggest reason he doesn't get the reputation because tom brady is a quarterback and therefore like the king of the team right. where in basketball i don't know how basketball works but like you don't have a quarterback, right. but you, you know, if you like have just like, inherently, right. it's more of a team effort. Right. But if, so I think that just it's the nature of the game that right. But if it's because Michael Jordan at forty or whatever isn't showing up to Wizards practices at five in the morning, saying you got to be in here <laughs> breaking down defensive tape three days out That's of this midweek game against the Bucks right. or whatever, right. right? The difference is that Michael Jordan showed up and through sheer force of hatred and determination and will proved what a competitor he was. And with people like Kobe, he's like Kobe had to do it by sticking his lower yeah. lip out further than right. everyone else and like doing the fake juice right. thing. Like, I don't know. You know it when you see it. And in Michael Jordan, I... I see it, and it's authentic. And yeah, he's a, occasionally sort of a rough around the edges kind yeah. of an asshole. Just like this guy's but, an asshole. These but, people are all assholes, but they win. So they're not whatever. all assholes. A handful of them who are living a dream right. and and hate it. They're the assholes. Right. I just don't think that. Like it's obvious to me that yes, resume wise, you cannot argue with what Tom Brady has accomplished, right. and also. It has been very rare that I've watched a Tom Brady football game against another of his generation's best quarterbacks, whether we're talking about late Brett Favre, we're talking about Peyton Manning at the height of his powers, right. who I know that you hate. We're talking yes, about I do. Aaron Rodgers, uh, whoever it is, Pat, Patrick Mahomes. They are not in the same generation. <laughs> Could be his child. Those are all better quarterbacks like when you watch right, it but, by the eye test, it, but by every metric except ultimately the number of wins and rings on the finger. Right. But that's not all. Uh, I mean, he's not, Brady's good. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, yeah, Mahomes. I would say is better now. 
Aaron Rodgers even is probably better than him, but he beat both of the, those, those their teams. I know they're not playing against each right, other. But what does he beat right. even mean, right? So, so right. this is why it's a conversation that drives me right. crazy. Because if we we for some reason we we judge these quarterbacks based on the number of titles that they won, when there's not a metric tied less to an individual performance of a quarterback. Like look no further than Super Bowl MVP Eli Manning, oh. who does not deserve that title in his name, despite making a couple of like great throws. Like will never die in the history of sport. Will that David Tyree play will live forever. Right. The the throw to Mario Manningham, yes. which is even yes. better what four kind of years Manningham? later. Who Manningham? <laughs> Mario Manningham. <laughs> which like you could not, you literally could not have placed it in Manningham's yes. arms any yeah. better perfect than throw. that yeah. throw. Yeah, and it's a throw. And you watch Brady try to go long last night, and like any time he tried to throw more than twenty yards downfield, it was through the back of the end zone or out of bounds or whatever. It was a garbage throw. Right. He did not make any interesting or exciting or thrilling plays basically the entire game. But he had enough. I mean, he had like three touchdowns, and I mean. He did well. He right. He had than... three touchdowns, two of which two of which were gifted to him by the fact that the officials extended oh, drives f- for this. I'm, I'm not wrong you here. I know it sounds okay. like pointless griping. You can never. You can't. It's basically a fact of life that sometimes bad roughing happens, but you, that can't be an argument for or against it. It's just sometimes these things happen. You just have to live with it. It's kind of like raining or something or snow. Sometimes these things happen to Tom Brady oh, you think for that fucking this is every sort of year for 23 thing? years for some reason. <laughs> it's just – I get it. I, I get it. But there's – it's – I think that in every year of Tom Brady's career – you can probably find another quarterback who you would take who's a better, more talented quarterback. Yes. So his particular set of skills is very good on a team that, like, like this was an ideal situation, right? right? This is a very good Tampa right. Bay team full of some of the most hateful players <laughs> that you could possibly <laughs> assemble <true>. on one <laughs> roster, right? You've got Indomitian Sue, who, like, slides under the radar on this that team. That is true, yeah. Who's like, there are a lot of knuckleheads like, on the roster. Antonio Brown, like last year, was making weird TikTok videos talking about beating women yeah. up and stuff, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> uh, like just a terrible team of of hateful individuals, and but a very talented right. one. And you know, now JPP's got got a ring for both of his fingers <laughs> there on his right hand. It's good for him. Anyway, he's the least exciting football player of his generation. Undeniable talent. I mean, least exciting is still superlative. Right. You don't have to be exciting. You can just be just good. You can, like, Tim Duncan is just boring, and he won a bunch of titles. Yeah, totally nobody fine. says Tim Duncan is undeniably the <laughs> greatest of all time. <laughs> okay. How many Tom Brady, not to keep on with it, how many Tom Brady plays are you ever going to remember? The the tuck rule play, you know, oh, or like yes. <laughs> thrilling quarterback play. There are more memorable Doug Flutie Isn't plays the in the history the... of football than there are memorable fucking Tom Brady. Isn't plays. he the one who threw the touchdown to himself? Isn't that Tom Brady? Did he, oh, no, did he? the butt, the butt, the butt fumble. No, oh, that's Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember Sanchez. the butt fumble. That's yeah, the player. Yeah, playing the Patriots, but yeah, it was uh, that Sanchez fella. 
Oh, man. I had money on that game, too. The butt <laughs> fumble game. <laughs> on which side? That, that was along the wrong side. <laughs> Boy, are you worse than I am at He's gambling? So, that's what I'm saying. What I should start doing is gambling against Bob. That's right. <laughs> It was an absolute inevitability that what happened last night was going to happen. And yes. still, I know. I tried to, like, I, I bet against Tom Brady almost in order to punish myself. Right. I'm pretty but that, sure. That's why you should, you should at least profit off it. Same but rule. But then with you should have told me not to do that. See, what I did was not pick because I don't like, I don't like not even betting on sports. I didn't tell you sports. what to do. I specifically said, you should choose. Do no, whatever you want to do. No, but I didn't want to choose because I don't like doing it. Because I don't even like in like a friendly pick them for free. Yeah. I, I don't like guessing outcomes. It feels weird. It's fun, isn't it? Oh, it's this not, is definitely going to happen. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. What's fun is watching what happens and going, ah, it's so happened. much fun. It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> and I have the worst personality for it, too, because yes. like, I see the world turning against me and I'm like, yeah, I'll bet another $10 against you. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll throw 40- 10 more dollars at this complete waste. Make sure you don't do that. At least we had the uh, the commercials. The game was a total bust, but the commercial. Yeah. Oh no, the commercials fucking sucked too, didn't they? <laughs> Are we going to talk about the commercials for half an hour too? Uh, hopefully, yeah. And that's it. No, all no, sports all, episode. All Super Bowl. Fuck yes. Cast iron brains. <laughs> Super Bowl recap show. Bob also suggested we start a podcast about twenty four and how it hates women. <laughs> we we should do an entire well, podcast that, that is. That would be great. Dedicated exclusively to talking about how all of the decisions made by women on 24 are either bad, evil, or or stupid. You know, that's, yeah, you're no, right. No, you don't have to think about it. You just yeah. go, oh, yeah, you're I'm right. I'm trying to they think of, say, like, nope. a counter. Except, but okay, there is an exception, and the exception is Chloe, who is, yeah. like, the most androgynous, less yeah. feminine <laughs> woman. That's right. Right. No, Chloe is basically a, a dude. Yeah. Also, and and ultimately, anything that you think was a good decision by a woman in the moment is eventually, if not by the yeah. end of the episode, then right. by the end of the season, right. shown to have been either stupid or malevolent <laughs> or both. How many women do you think were in that writer's room? Oh, none. So, Absolutely no, it's funny none. because there, there's a few episodes where at least it's a woman's name that wrote the episode. Oh. But I guarantee that they were told what to do right you know they like there were no women in the yeah. story room right anyway uh, let's talk about the commercials Abe, did you notice any overriding themes of the commercials we were watching um other than that i skipped most of them uh no no so i'm gonna run through a list i've got 15 commercials here just go quickly there was a wayne's world reboot commercial there was a commercial with Jason Alexander, who, of course, played George in Seinfeld. And in that commercial, it was a so it was like a Seinfeld reference just by virtue of the fact that I'm sorry, Jason, but that's who you are. You're George Costanza. Did he have the appearance of a Costanza or just it's no, the, he was just him. He looked good. He looked better than he looked 20 he years ago really because good. of money, because like they all have like a billion dollars now. But Jason Alexander in a commercial with a soundtrack that was itself a Seinfeld reference. So it was, do you remember the Seinfeld episode where George records a message on his 
outgoing answering machine and it's a song and he says I'm not going to sing it because I'm not that sort of person. Like like Ashton Kutcher, I cannot sing at all. Yeah. Uh, the difference between me and Ashton Kutcher is is that if I were cast in a commercial that was going to air on a Super Bowl for five and a half fucking million dollars, mm-hmm. I would ask them to auto-tune me or I something. I can think oh. of another difference between you and Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Money. Yeah, the money is part of it, yes. He also looks better than he did 20 years ago. Of course he does. All of you look better than you did 20 years ago, you asshole men. Oh, I get better as I age. Well, I'm 40 pounds lighter than I was 20 years ago. <laughs> Works out. There was that Seinfeld episode where George records the outgoing answering machine message, and it's a hit song. Yeah. And it says, believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. Okay, yeah. Anyway, it was a bit... That song, but the original version of the song was playing during the commercial. So it was a Seinfeld reference inside of a Seinfeld reference. Okay. Commercial number three here. Dolly Parton with a sort of parody version of her song, Working 9 to 5. It was turned around to Working 5 to 9. It was a Squarespace ad. Okay. Uh, remake of Shaggy's It Wasn't Me from the year 2000. That's which the Ashton was the, Kutcher one, right? The Ashton Kutcher and His wife. Mila Kunis one. Uh, Scott's fertilizer commercial that in- included callbacks to a Happy Gilmore character, not Happy Gilmore himself, but <laughs> the guy who loses his hand to the alligator. Um, uh, Stanley from The Office, The American Office, and a dancing John Travolta. And then number six is a Doritos commercial that the commercial itself wasn't exactly a throwback, but it was a commercial for a product that debuted in the 1990s and then was discontinued in but the 2000s. But they didn't act. It, they tried to get it past us. Right. I knew that they weren't new and that they used to exist, but they weren't acting. They were like, oh, here's this new thing. No, I fucking see you, Doritos. I remember 3D Doritos. They're stupid. They're too puffy. Can't sneak a They're like, puffed up Dorito. You can sneak a fucking snack past me. Past I know snacks. Lori Stoner ass from 20 years ago. You definitely cannot. They're like bugles, but Dorito flavored, and it just doesn't work for well, me. Well, according okay. to the PR stuff, they've reformulated the uh, recipe or whatever, and they're much oh, better Oh, they now. got it just right. I'm not interested. Number seven is a Bud Light commercial. That literally just brings back all of the stars of previous Bud Light commercials. Number eight is a Frito-Lay commercial, which sort of started the evening with a bunch of old NFL greats of yesteryear, including Peyton and Eli Manning, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Troy Aikman, etc., etc. There was a Sam Adams ad, number nine, featuring the Budweiser Clydesdales, who otherwise would not have featured this year, but Sam Adams decided to bring them back. Oh. Uh, The best and only good laugh of the entire night was from Beavis and Butthead when they uh, made a joke about how somebody said uh, crack. (laughs) She said giant crack. Joe Montana makes another appearance for Guinness. There was an Edward Scissorhands Cadillac commercial. There was a Sesame Street commercial. There was Jake from State Farm, which that entire ad campaign with Jake from State Farm is itself an ad campaign that's built on a well-received advertisement from a decade ago. Okay. The Jake from State Farm guy, like, what are you wearing? Khakis, that thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From like 2011. They've redone it now, but with like a hip, young, exennial type guy. My conspiracy theory is it was supposed to be Jake from by now. 
Yeah, except Jake Fromm got canceled for some bad tweets or something. He got somewhat canceled and also isn't that great at football. It's a problem. And then finally, (laughs) we had Vince Lombardi, his hologram in an ad for the National Football League. So that was like half of the ads that aired last night. Right. And the, the unifying theme there is that everything is just south park's member berries now everything yeah. is just hey you remember remember this thing that that used to be a thing from 20 or 30 years ago right this is what a dead culture does this is what do you think that you don't think it's because it's just been bad news for the last year so let's just do some fun stuff you think they're going to do this next year also i would imagine next year they're going to go back to a mixture of this and new shit or separate thought Maybe it's always been like this, and we just didn't notice because they were referencing things that we didn't get because ah. we weren't. We're like now we're the people with purchasing power, right? So, so maybe like they're was, gearing, it, like you said about Disney World, like kids are gonna like it no matter what. You got to get the adults to like it. Maybe but the Bud Light ad sort of puts the lie to that though, because the Bud Light ad, like it's not like those thirty different Bud Light commercials no, that we grew up with. I'm not saying with. it's solely that. I'm saying right. that there's probably an element of it that we are just now realizing how much of commercials is, hey, remember this thing? All right. And maybe, I mean, like with that Doritos thing, you know, you sussed it out, Lori. I'm sure like 20 years ago, there's some other Lori. No, that was 20 saying, years ago, it was new. And it was like, <laughs> God damn it. it no, was but like, like another commercial. Like, oh, they did this in the 70s, these bums. I'm not falling for that. And I'll just continue. But people like this nostalgia stuff. It basically is like defanged past shit, you know, like, oh, look at this. So, but that's my, that's sort of my problem with it, right? right. Like, there's this weird safety to nostalgia. Right. Like Beavis and Butthead, 30, 25 years ago, whatever that was, they were, like, transgressive as shit. Like, they right. were scary. Yeah. In a, in a not inconsequential way to all of the wine moms who today would have been laughing at uh, that commercial. Isn't that the whole thing with nostalgia, though? Like, it's this, it's this thing that in the Upon reflection, like, oh, th- that was fun because you mostly survived it. You know, there are things that in the moment are scary. Like, wasn't, like, Snoop Dogg into, like, gangster rap and, like, potential yeah. violence? But then now, like, oh, it's old Now Snoop he's Dogg, old. Because you know? you're removed from it. Beavis and Butthead were transgressive, and importantly, they were very, very stupid. Um, right. And Wayne's World was an extremely stupid bit that they turned into two very stupid movies. Uh, and and also, by the way, this is not noted in the remake. Wayne's World was like extremely and grossly horny as right. a as a thing. Like you'll notice, they didn't do any swinging on the uh, <laughs> on the remake commercial because like that's the sort of thing bomb. that would. That wouldn't fly these days where, like, Wayne goes around, like, gyrating his hips at a woman and yelling schwing (laughs) in her face because he makes her feel like he has an erection. Like, that's that's not okay today. But it is okay for some reason to just sort of glance at it and say, hey, remember how much we used to love this thing? Right. Like, even that State Farm commercial from a decade ago which they remade last year to bring the new Jake in like they made the exact same commercial except they replaced old Jake with new Jake so that the whole thing would make sense right um even that is like right on the border of 
completely unacceptable from a PC perspective now where like the wife says she sounds hideous right. and the guy defends him by saying, well, she's a guy. Right. Like that's not cool in a sort of uh, transphobic you, kind of way. You don't arguably. think that that would – you think somebody would complain about that if that was like the very first time it happened this year? Like in this Yes, as stated elsewhere, it, literally anything and everything can and arguably should be canceled. Uh, <laughs> on the, uh, based on the current standards of the discourse. Again, no one actually is getting canceled. They're just poo-pooed for a couple of days. Sure. But all of these things end up as utterly toothless representations of a more innocent time. And it's almost like after a year of coronavirus restrictions and the last five years of the Trumpening, that what corporate America really wants is to just make America great again? Right. Is the feeling that I got <laughs> yeah. from watching that, all of those commercials? And basically, just like, don't make any headlines. Just keep it real, very generic, very simple. Nostalgia works, comedy works. Do that. Don't take any risks. Comedy works, he says. Where was... <laughs> Where were the big belly laughs? Besides, I, besides Beavis and Butthead laughing in their way about that chick <laughs> saying that's a giant crack in the ice, uh, where, 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 where was the funny? It didn't have to be funny. You're, as long as you're making an attempt at funny, it counts as funny to me. These are all signs of a, a decaying culture. And this is, uh, if I were a far more obnoxious kind of person, I would say, and Laura, you're talking earlier about how everybody probably every generation starts making this complaint when they get to our age or whatever most people i think are under the impression that the culture fucking died when they became adults when they turned 18 or 19 or 20 and the, the like M the old joke about how mtv sucks now because it's right not now. the mtv that it was when i was watching it i think a lot of people experience that where the culture is no longer made for them because in reality the culture is made for the fucking teenagers the whole world is built around catering to that demographic and the only distinction that i would make the only defensible argument that i would have against that is my old take about the culture actually died on 9-11 and that we then spent an entire last 20 years trying to justify our ongoing existence as a country. And instead of producing new things, we just let irony die. And, and everything now has to be this entirely sincere thing. Is it possible that another explanation for this, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but, you know, back in the day, in the olden days, like there was like almost like not, not like a single culture, but there was like a, a, yes. a lot of things that people just experienced together. Yes. That's no longer the case. Like this it's little fractured. Japanese cartoon thing you just mentioned. Most people don't know what that is. I didn't know what that is. You know, so you have to almost kind of lean on things yeah. that known quantities and you just have to reach back. And that doesn't exist anymore. You're alienating most of the people if you're too specific. Right. And, and so everybody's like li living in their own bubbles because you know you can go online or on one of the million different tv channels and streaming things and so there's not like one show or one cultural thing or that even 20 like there right. used to be we all watched nbc thursday nights right that's right. the tv we all watched right. it was on I, nbc on thursday nights yeah like er right. everybody watched you i know. think that i think that you're I right and ER. i think that the only <laughs> I can't believe you're watching ER, and I'll say it again. <laughs> the only unifying thing now that we have as a culture is the awful culture war, is right. this casting out of 
uh, that the in group the to the out group. And, and, yeah, and a- <laughs> that's why I told people all week I take the Super Bowl and the Oscars very seriously because right. it's one of the very few times that most of the people are watching one thing. Right. So- it's the most exciting, wonderful thing that we can do as a country ever is just watch the Super Bowl. Right. right. And am I wrong in my – so maybe – and I have not expressed this before and I have not seen it expressed elsewhere – my feeling watching the game last night was that the whole country wasn't, in fact, watching. That really? This felt, this felt like something that was completely beside the point. And that was maybe that's in part due to the, like, I for think whatever it's a reason, weird year. my Facebook wasn't full of people talking about the Super Bowl. My Twitter, it was sort of mentioned because I follow yeah. a lot of sports people on my Twitter, right. but it didn't feel like this overwhelming important event that happened in the wider culture it just felt like something that i did with my kids and the neighbors kids i think it's because of this specific year and there's the same with the national championship which is why i thought we should just hand it to alabama because (laughs) this year doesn't really count right yeah this year is goofy year i will say maybe it's just atlanta or whatever but we're we're getting gonna order wings on friday ahead of time for sunday and they stopped taking orders because they had so many people so it's like i think a lot of people do still watch it. i don't know what the numbers the final number is going to be but maybe not to the point where people are commenting on it first of all the game wasn't very good it wasn't very close and it's tom brady again and so like that just kind of maybe that's a terrible game and aside from the brady mahomes thing the story's mostly sucked, right? That yeah. Right. Andy Reid had already won his. Yeah. Literally just last year. Yeah. Right. And Arians is not a particularly like. And like lovable. fucking Tampa Bay. Why does Florida yeah. have three NFL teams? Yeah. Like it's it's not a game that people well, are going to care the, about. The Jaguars are not an NFL team, but. <laughs> They're all three fucking NFL teams. You just need the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Also, pivot. I agree with you. Because that fucking halftime show, not the show, the show itself, whatever. I feel like the show was fine for what they had to work with. But like that's music that kids these days like. And I remember being a teen and early 20 and consumer of music and thinking about my parents and what they think about my music. And like, oh, it's too loud and fast. And I remember like... (laughs) thinking my kids' music is going to be so loud and fast. And that music was fucking boring (laughs) and slow. And it's just like, what happened to everyone where this is what the hip kids like? As usual, I blame the Gen Xers and their apathy. And these are their children making the music. I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. When's the last time? One musical act did the whole thing. Usually they bring in some randoms. I mean, it's to COVID. They, they did the. Yeah, but that. What is the point of that guy's music? Like, so I get that he's he popular. He has a lot of popular songs. People yeah, like. He's made like a lot it. of hit records. Yeah. But I reject the possibility that anybody is really passionate about the weekend. They're right? not passionate about shit. They right. don't give a but, shit about anything. Right. This is what. I, this is my old point about. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you. Taylor Swift and Drake and all the rest that the music has become in people ti- are passionate about Taylor Swift. That's in- sure. Entirely, everything is just replacement level Drek now. But is it the music? I mean, you're, we're all outside of the age range. But like, is it? It's like 
from 12 to 24 is what, what whatever yeah. music was playing during that period is what you're into, right. and that's it. Uh, yes. So, but I don't like Beyonce, but I believe that there are people who are super passionate about and def- and like would go to the mattresses to defend Beyonce. But that as is a, as weird because that's like a different thing. Like same thing with Taylor Swift and like those that Korean pop group. There's always like. It's like it's the music, and then it's like these weird like yeah. cult followers who like if you say anything bad about. No, I'm whatever. sure there are people who really like the weekend's music. It's just that the music itself no, doesn't I, seem I, to I say disagree. anything. Nobody gives a shit about the weekend's music. I don't think That's people impossible. like it. They I mean, can he, like it all they want. I refuse right. to believe that anybody fucking has passionately music, cares. But I don't, I don't, I don't imagine he has like a, a cult following or anything like that. I think one of the songs is like literally just about him doing cocaine. So, I can't feel my face when I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sorry, woman. Anyway, one more thing on the Super Bowl broadcast. Oh, don't talk about it. You're going to talk about the thing at the end, aren't at you? The end. Well, oh, so at the end. It. There's, oh, God. There's three minutes to go in a Super Bowl that's a complete boring blowout. Right. And Jim Nance says, and his, his segue into it is like the words, I don't know, but. Tampa Brady. Oh, no, not that. That was dreadful. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking <laughs> that about was, that. That was well, that... completely unacceptable. Never His... mind. Never mind. The temp... No, now we have to. No. So was that intentional says... or he just like, I'm old yes, guy? And... He... It, no, he had Jim rehearsed Nance. it. You can tell it was so thought out <laughs> and calculated and waited till the very end of the game. He does this every year. And it's not just the Super Bowl. He does it... He has a prepared line for the end of every major game that he calls. You go back and you watch March Madness. Yeah. And when, and because he's the guy, and, or you go back and you watch the Masters. Yeah. He 100% has written down a list of a dozen different prepared lines that he's going to break out at the end, depending on what the outcome is. And this year, (laughs) what he went with (laughs) was a play on words. He he rolled out Champa so Bay awful. a couple of times during the broadcast, right? As we got towards the end, he started like testing the waters with, you know, they've been calling it Champa Bay lately around here. Like, no, don't do that, Jim. But then at the end, he breaks out Tampa Brady. Yeah. So, so and he says but then he goes on to explain it. Right. He can't just say Tampa Brady he and says, have it be a stupid thing to say. Yeah. Turns out, this is not an exact quote, but he says something like, it turns out Tampa Bay was just an R and a D away from a championship, right? To get Because mm-hmm. that got them mm-hmm. to Tampa mm-hmm. Brady. And as you know... He said something about any, with all the research and development that they do. All oh, a great organization God. needs is to pour money into research and development. <laughs> And so all the bucks needed were a little R&D to turn Tampa Bay into Tampa Brady and Champa Bay. And I was like, oh, I'm going to throw myself no, through my and television. I, I heard it, but I didn't allow myself to hear it. Like, I heard a bad thing happening. And yeah. then Bob was like, did you hear that? And I was like, no. <laughs> Explain it to me. So that was a, an obvious crime against humanity. And it was that was on the heels of, with three minutes to go in the game, he says something like, and of course, as everyone knows, all of our thoughts and prayers are with the families of the children who were hurt in the car accident on the side of the highway. And 
Britt Reed ran in, you know, thoughts and prayers. He, he briefly mentioned that yeah. there had been involvement in by time. one of the, right. yeah, during garbage time of a Super Bowl, everybody, had, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> and either, either you do it at the top and you like link and, and you say that there are, the NFL is reaching out in support of this family or whatever. Right. Or you just you don't, just don't say mention, anything. Yeah, just, yeah. You cannot, with three minutes to go in garbage time, talk about the seriously injured and on life support children. That was the result of the coach's son, who only has a job in the NFL because his daddy is the right. head coach of He's the, the team, yeah. who left the team facility the other night, the week of the Super Bowl. He left the team facility drunk. And hit that car, pulled over on the side of the highway on his way home from the team facility at like 9 or 9.30 at night. Like that, that's a huge story. Yeah. Uh, an assistant coach on a Super Bowl team left the, the team facility yeah. to drive home drunk and crashed into a car and injured kids, right? Either you don't talk about it at all right. or you make a very big deal of it at the top of the show. Yeah. You can't do it in garbage time. Right. It's the NFL you're talking about. They can do whatever they want. All right. Anything else on the Super Bowl? Any other? Anybody besides me want to complain about anything <laughs> with regards to the Super Bowl? I complained about this youth music. Yeah, the youth. Yeah, I was happy by uh, you know my winnings. No complaints on my end. All right. We'll very quickly gloss over this San Francisco school board thing because I'm. It's something that we can we can do pretty much any night. This uh, San Francisco is going to rename like 50 of its schools, including schools that were named for Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Paul Revere. Not to mention the uh, current senator Diane Feinstein and I think a former mayor of San Francisco as well. Right. And the reasoning behind it is that some school board committee came to the conclusion that all of these people had sinned in various ways against the modern sensibility and that we shouldn't be elevating them. The the language from the articles, you can kind of tell the type of people behind this. So they're like any figures who engage in the subjugation and enslavement of human beings or who oppressed women, inhibiting social societal progress. I don't know what falls under that. <laughs> Uh, or whose actions led to genocide. I mean, that last one, I think, that's pretty fair. We can quibble <laughs> yeah. with the other stuff, but if you had a hand in genocide, yes. Yeah, because inhibiting societal progress, that's a pretty wide, wide net. Like being a wet blanket. Like, <laughs> and also, like I was telling to you, Bob, like if your plan is to name these schools after another human being, you're gonna. Find yourself in the same situation you're in now because it won't be long before, you know, there's all these schools that are starting, at least in Georgia, starting to be named like Barack Obama Elementary or this. You know, in in sh the next 10, 15 years, I'm sure people will say, oh, that guy's a warmonger or, you know, like right. this or that, the, you know. So, the, so you'll the, change the, the name author again, of the American, whatever. of the American citizen kill list and the uh, yeah. Obama drone wars is right. going so, to be elevated. Yeah, you'll always be able to find some argument for so. So you'll change the name again. It's fine. Is that the answer here that the woke people should give? Is that the honest answer that, yes, in 50 years, people will be even woker than we are, and right. that will represent only more progress, and therefore they should feel free to rename the schools right, as they the, see fit? The thing is, why yeah. are you using – why are you naming these schools after f every human is flawed in one way or another, right? So – 
Why are you going to well, put no, yourself? Because Abe, eventually we're going to get to the point where we are a sinless, purely benevolent race of creatures, the the one great human race, right. each of us an individual perfect being, flawless, and we won't even need schools. Right. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Why not just have like generic names if you're if you want to get ahead of this because. Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, whatever uh, flaws that they're alleging, tr which are true, that's not why these schools are named after them, right? They're named after them for the good things that they did, right? So is, if the argument is that the person has know, to be— I don't know, In a on white school. supremacist society, can you say that they were named only for the good things that they did? If you're playing word association, how many words would you have to go through before you got to— the first word that I associate with Abraham Lincoln is slavery, so that sounds pretty bad. It depends on who you are. <laughs> Touche. Let's move on. That's a story that's not going anywhere, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. Abe. Yeah? I gave you uh, some homework the other night. <laughs> Lori and I, a couple weeks ago, watched something on Hulu. So yes. uh, apologies for anybody out there who doesn't subscribe to Hulu and cannot immediately on our stellar recommendation go out and watch this piece of art. It's called In and of Itself. It's by someone named Derek Delgadio. Uh, it's 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It has like uh, an 8-plus Metacritic rating, I think. How and many reviews? I mean, 100%. Seemingly universally beloved. I... Did you like any part of it? Well, we'll get to that in a second. I only even know about it because I listened to the, the Slate Political Gab Fest, and they've mentioned it like two out of the last three weeks and are going to be talking about it on some future episode of their show. Okay. And so it came highly recommended by those Gen X goobers. And I looked at the preview, and it's like this one-man show. He's sort of a magician, sort of a magical stage act thing, sort of a whatever, yes. you know, kind of what one-man shows performance. are like. Yeah, they're doing a whole thing. Yeah, like performance art, one-man show, art. magic thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, it's 90 minutes, so we can, the sort of thing that Lori and I have watched before, and we could watch again. And, like, I wasn't, exp like, I went in thinking I was going to enjoy this production right. directed by Frank Oz, universally received with great praise by the cultural elites of our country. And I really fucking hated it. <laughs> like, I, I, like I profoundly hate this 90 minutes of, and, like, and, the, and it's one of those things where the more I think about it, yeah, I hate it even more. And then I've like, <laughs> I, like it, it, snowballs and it becomes about everything that i hate about so i i like yeah. lose the thread and it becomes about everything yeah. that i right. hate well, about because the every time culture. you feel anything it becomes about everything so <laughs> just know that about yourself audience should know that about you it's never just one thing it's always about everything this is not a surprise to me you're not telling me anything i don't already know about myself well it just makes it hard to talk to you sometimes I, about one thing that's all. I become paralyzed by the inability to write the second sentence of a thing once I've written the first sentence because of how much import I put onto each sentence in terms of how it explains everything. So, yes, I know that about myself. <laughs> uh, but before I, we get into 
what I didn't like about it. Yep. I do not know what your reaction was to it beyond a text from you where you said, Wah, is that Bill Gates? <laughs> we have to talk about this. Was that so, Bill Gates? Can you answer yes, that? Yes, it was Bill Gates. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, what am I watching? Okay. The first like 30 minutes I was in, right? I'm like, this is great. He's doing some goofy little tricks, but he's telling a story. And if the Abe done, loves the, theater, I love stories. Out. So I was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. Once it got into the soapy like nonsense, like, oh, did you pick I'm a turtle? Like, yeah, I did. And they start crying. It's like, <laughs> what is this fucking nonsense? And the thing with the brick, like, I was out. The last 30 minutes, I was like, this is a, I can't believe I got in on this. But it, if, you, if I had stopped though. it halfway through, I would have been like, oh, yeah, 100%. And maybe that's what these uh, rotten critics uh, uh, looked at, just the first half. No, no, that's not. I don't think they're allowed to do that. At all. <laughs> they, uh, they were fully bought in. That, right. that should be my new uh, review thing. Just like, just I watched half of it. I've seen enough. Thumbs up, thumbs down. But yeah, I uh, ended up where you started with. But like, I did like the beginning when it's just like a story. So, I, like I said, I did not start there, and I, and I actually, aside from some hesitancy in the first thirty minutes, where I sort of, I sort of knew where this fucker was going, I was in too at the beginning, like because right. he's very, very good right. at. At the basics, at the right. sleight of hand stuff, at the yeah. at the tricks. Right. That level of manipulation is fun and good and and fine. Yeah. He's a, a master of it. And too. you're expecting it, you know, and it's part of the deal. Like, but the other stuff. It's the psychological and emotional manipulation of the audience that goes on first sort of as an undercurrent. And then for the last hour of the show, it's just explicitly pure emotional manipulation right. uh, of the audience. And if you have any interest in watching this, stop listening now because we're going to talk about spoilers ahead yeah. is what I'm saying. So if this is the sort of thing that appeals to you, and it's fine if it does, no judgment from me. Whenever this sort of situation comes up, I always ask myself, like, am I like the asshole? Maybe like, because like everyone in the room where they're filming is in on this, right? They're feel, oh, look at this. We're all having a moment. And I'm thinking, this is fucking stupid. And it reminds me of uh, Survivor when they, they used to do the family, like, and they're like crying. It's been like 14 days. Like, settle down. Like, this right. is your, it's not <laughs> even like your spouse. It's like your third cousin, like some random person, but you're like, oh my God. And they start crying. So I'm, I always ask myself, Maybe I I'm am similarly unsympathetic. Y yeah. When we get to the very end of the big reveal, I will explain to you how you're exactly right in asking yourself, am I really the only <laughs> asshole here? Because you're not. In fact, that was a room mostly full of people having that exact moment to right. themselves. But anyway, we'll get to that. What this thing is, so so first of all, on the aesthetics of it and the, the pointless things that I'll complain about here, he looks like a cross between Moriarty from the BBC Sherlock show and John Edward, the psychic medium from 20 years ago, who South Park famously yeah. called the biggest douche in the universe. Yeah. Anyway, he's basically doing a John Edward routine crossed with a magic show for an entirely different audience than the John Edward people, than, than the audience that was for the John Edward people. So John Edward got his, and I know this about, like I knew John Edward literally years before South Park tore him apart in right. season six, because John Edward is from 
like fucking shitty ass New Jersey. And he used to go on the WPLJ morning show and do psychic cold readings, try, like communicating with dead people oh, over the radio. So he would he would call into this radio show and then other people would call in and he would allege that he was talking to the third party's dead relatives about what the dead relatives wanted for the still living person. The people who participate in this sort of thing, they must know this is all a, a they put don't on, right? Know. No, they, they don't believe know. it. My mother used to watch. The, I think that he had a show. Was it Bravo that used no, to air it was his on, show? It was like the WB or something. No, UPN. it was a cable channel. So the belief is that this random person who never met the person who's now dead is communicating with them. It's yes. amazing. Abe, what Abe remembers and doesn't <laughs> ever have heard of, seemingly. It's like just the most random <laughs> collection. <laughs> never heard of this. But I know when uh, 24 started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so crossing over with John Edward ran in the early 2000s, 2001 to 2004, on the Sci-Fi Channel mm. in the United States. Was he the most famous of it? Wasn't there somebody else? Because I, I, I know this guy because he had the same name as the politician, John Edward. But, but, John Edwards. Yeah. John, was the politician. Aren't they both John Edwards? No, John Edwards. Yes, with no, John Edwards was the smarmy South Carolina politician who got that chick pregnant while the his wife was dying of cancer. Yeah, that's never a good time to cheat on your wife, but yeah. <laughs> John Edward is the psychic oh, medium so who claims Edward. to okay. gotcha. yeah. communicate with the dead. Anyway, I bring up the comparison because they're doing the same basic thing. This Derek Delgadio and John Edward are basically doing the but exact Delgadio same thing. But Delgadio is not pretending, other, right? Uh, do these people, I mean, they knew that he was just, you know, they, they, they got all it the information. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they know in the back of their head. The thing that's going on there that's allowing them to access that well of emotion that they allow to spill over into this public display is what's doing the work there, right? right? It's it doesn't matter that in the back of their head they they like they believe they're having in on the one hand a transcendent spiritual experience or or deeply like whatever the whatever the cultural equivalent is of because we don't even talk about this in terms of a spiritual experience anymore. Right. It's like this deeply individualistic psychological experience of great emotion that these people are having that right. in another it, for another crowd, they would call a deeply spiritual experience. For a John Edward crowd, they would call a seance happening with their dead relatives right. in, a, in a deeply meaningful way. The difference is that John Edward did it for Red America, for even though it's not how you would have thought about it right. then. At yeah. the time, it was basically for Red America. Right. And this guy is very much doing it for... A culturally elite audience. Right. This does not fly except and unless you're in a very small theater in off-Broadway New York or in L.A., Right. right? This is like not the sort of thing you can take I mean, on the as road. as evidenced by the entries in that book. Right. <laughs> and do in Omaha. Like, right. Jesus. And, and uh, how many different 
audiences were there. They kept on splicing up like a million different versions of that same show. This guy, right? And I actually thought that aspect of it was was interesting and good. Like the direction was good, and the way that they combined different performances to give you a feel for how the show changed from night to night was really cool. Like Frank Oz, who's the uh, the guy who produced and directed, was really like Yoda. He's very good. He's a established cultural figure. He was good. I hate that he's associated with this thing, as it turns (laughs) out, Uh, but whatever. And the the final little piece that I'll add to my what this guy is like thing is that this is for, this is a show that's for the sort of culturally elite audience that thought that Nanette stand-up special on Netflix a couple years ago was going to redefine stand-up comedy forever. That's the one that where she was going to quit stand-up comedy because of this or that? That was received as this, like, this is the end of comedy as we know it. That because this person got up and did a 60 Minutes a con- TED talk. confessional TED Talk thing instead right. of doing comedy. that right. jo- We can't actually tell jokes the way that we've always told jokes before. That instead we have this other thing now. This is a weird outgrowth, and I don't know the timing here. I don't know when he was doing this show versus when that one. But it's the, of the exact same cultural moment, Delgadio's show and that, and that stand-up special. Right. So back back to like what sort of an experience this is and what sort of person it is that buys into having this experience. When I was in the seventh and eighth grade, so seventh, I'm a, I was born Catholic, right? And so when you're Catholic, you're baptized as an infant. And then that's the first sacrament that you receive. There are X number of sacraments, seven. seven? And you can't ever get them all because you married, then you can't become a priest and becoming a priest is one oh. of the sacraments. But anyway, yeah. you get a bunch of them. And so you're baptized, you get your, you do your penance where you learn how to tell a priest all the bad things that you've done and he tells you how to atone for them. There's the communion one when you're in like, you're seven or eight years old in the second grade and you can start receiving the body and blood of Christ. Oh, okay. And then the, the next big one is when you're in the eighth grade, when you're roughly a teenager, sort of the equivalent of getting a bar bat mitzvah for the Jews, you get... Uh, you go through confirmation. You are confirmed in the church, and it's basically a redo of your baptism, except that now as a sentient creature instead of just an infant. As a wise 13-year-old. Right, as, <laughs> as somebody able to make these sorts of decisions, uh, decides to confirm himself in the church community and become a even more of a Catholic. Is, is, there, is there any ritual? You got to get like in, in a water or something? You got to drink something? It's not a water no, thing. That's there's the born like, again. There's an anointing. I think there's an anointing with oil. But what, I don't remember all of the details. But in the lead up to that, because it's treated as this sort of intellectual and spiritual exercise, you take classes where you learn about the thing that you're about to buy You do into. for bar mitzvah too. Right. Similar to that. And what I knew in the seventh grade, I think, was when I was taking these classes in eighth grade, maybe, is that I didn't, I didn't believe any of this shit. Like I, Even back then? That, that was the confirmation. Right. No, back then, as I was going through my confirmation process, I was merely confirming the fact that I don't, like, that, <laughs> that I don't believe any of this. And yet, I still went through the whole stupid yeah. ritual yeah, yeah. because I was 13. But then I had the to ritual requiring you to cry, right? Right. So, but that's the, so that's the thing that I'm getting to, which is that 
even as we're going through this thing, and it's this, it's basically just a weekly Bible study group where you get together and you talk about God and the church and all of this stuff. And as a truly obnoxious seventh, eighth grader that I was, I was the most vocal person and most argumentative person in the class. I'm sure it was a trial for the poor soccer mom who was and doing a shock the job. to all the listeners That's to right, hear yeah. it. Right. <laughs> Nevertheless, on the big day, and we had been prepped to prepare ourselves for the possibility that this would be an overwhelming emotional or spiritual oh, moment. Oh, no kidding. So they say things like, don't be surprised if you feel overcome in the moment. And you, so some people start speaking in tongues all of a sudden, which is like, like I know the Pentecostals the were into do. the tongue stuff. What's that? I thought that was like the, the, the snake people. Pentecostals. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do it too, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for Catholics, certainly. Wow. Look at that. A lot of range with the Catholics. You might just faint. You might be bowled over by, moved okay. by the spirit and f- whatever. And it becomes this, it becomes a performance of the act itself, like yeah. both for you and for the 300 people who are in the church. Because the thing, it happens in church on our, like, I think it was a regular Sunday. I don't know. Maybe it was a special ceremony. Either way, there were hundreds of people in the church. You're on display. It becomes this sort of heady thing where right. you're self-conscious about the whole thing going on. It's ritual, like the Super Bowl. Right. It's important. And... I was an altar boy anyway, so like I, I felt comfortable in the church. I liked the church to the extent that I, I didn't I didn't buy any of the right. shit. But like I decent people was, Yeah. Felt a, a reasonable part like I played basketball on the church. There's a basketball team. court in that church. Right. Oh nice. That's how they get you. And when the moment came, I played the role. And I can't say now that I didn't feel anything, right? right. Because in the moment I did all of the things. The, the guy anointed my forehead or whatever, and I felt like I fell back as though I were overcome with something. And I cannot, for the life of me, explain intellectually what's going on in that moment, except to say that I know that I can point to things within myself that explain what happened there rather than needing to explain it based on being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit or whatever, right? Like it's a, it was a strictly psychological and emotional phenomenon right. that people are perfectly happy and willing to attribute to external forces, but that I know, even as it was happening, yeah. I knew that this was something that I was effectively doing to myself as a performance. Right. That was, and also, it, it was it, it was both false and true at the same time. Yeah. So it's not like I'm completely humiliated by this fact uh, 30 years later or whatever it is now. Because in the moment, it was a thing that was happening to me, but it was also a thing that I was doing. It was this weird combination right. of things. Right. And that's very similar to what the big finish is in this show. Maybe I missed something. The the and you're and you're probably right. There's also the whole idea of stand-up comedy in the room is funnier than it is watching yes. it at home. It because it's contagious and all this whatever. So that, there's probably mostly that. But why was like people were having reactions? Were they reacting to it because like he he knew what card that they selected? I mean, as if- right. So the the way that the the thing ends, and we'll explain. At the very start of the show, in the pre-show, the audience gets to the theater, and they're yeah. in the lobby. Yeah. And in the lobby, there's set up this giant wall of right. cards, and and there's hundreds of cards there on the wall. And every card 
says I am at the top, and then at the bottom it says something. Something. Magician. Right? Artist. Mother. A neighbor right. and a a personal identifier. But and, there's only one of each kind. Right. And there's only one of each kind. Per show. And so you, as an audience member, you are required to walk up to that wall, select a card, and then on your way in, hand it to an usher who then tears it in half. And she takes the identifier part of the card and puts it in a stack and she hands you back the I am card. And then you go to your seat. Right. And then, so then the big kicker of the show is at the end... Delgadio tells anybody who wasn't fucking around when they selected their card stand right. up. So that's the that's arguably the most important part of the trick is that he asks that the audience self-select right. for the sincere among them. So if you picked I'm a fuck up off yeah. of the wall there and you did it because Just, you yeah. did it as an ironic joke, also then it could you're be not like, go- all the other cards are taken, right? I mean somebody's Hey, I sure. wanted that, and then you got right. it. Then, but if you picked a card that was meaningful to you, and you right. want you, he he says explicitly, yeah. If you if your card is a direct representation of how you want to be seen in the world, right. Please stand up, right. So then, the only people who stand up are the people for whom those two words on the card are most meaningful, right. Right. So when you're saying, as you're watching this, wait a second, am I? Am I the asshole for like, like, no, you're just the guy who didn't stand up because you picked I'm a dog walker yeah. off the fucking card yeah. wall because you didn't know what the fuck else to pick. Right. What are you talking about? Yeah. I can't limit myself to one stupid noun on a card <laughs> that some magician came up with. But if you've now self-selected for 30 people who are going to dramatically and personally and deeply identify with those words, then yeah. you're going to have you, – you've automatically selected for that, people who are going to be highly heightened emotionally, right? People were reacting to, like, the most benign statements. Like, I was like, what? Like, I mean, there's a couple that maybe, like, there's some connection, you know, whatever. Like, I'm a, I'm a you know, a spouse or something. Your spouse just died. Or, I would understand that. But there was some random stuff that people were like, oh, my God, you, you, know, you right. see me. Like, <laughs> right. right. And so well, that's, but the idea is that he's We guessing. should explain how it – Right. The, the, we explain how it works, which is that at the end, he has them stand up, and then he, one by one, very slowly, he stands and he stares at them, and he yeah. looks them right in the eye, as though he's having this deep, personal, emotional, spiritual communication with them. And he pauses just long enough, and then he says, a mother of three, yeah. right? And then she, and she starts to weep, and then she sits down, like... And then he moves on to the next one, and he has a deep emotional, personal connection with that person. And then he says whatever he says yeah. to them, and they sit down. And the amusing thing is that he could have done this with anything, right? Yeah. So literally any series of uniquely identifiable things. Or could, not, or could, just a set of numbers. Right. Any, any number. He could have done it with a deck of cards, where before you go and sit down, you're handed a seven of diamonds. This guy's handed an eight of clubs. And then at the end, he could have done the exact same trick, right. which is that he just stands there. Because all he's done, I don't know how exactly he did it. Maybe he had a signaling device in his pocket. Yeah. Maybe he had an earpiece. Yeah, he probably had Maybe, an earpiece, right? I don't think he had an Bob, earpiece. Bob's guess is very, very good, and it's probably right. I think he's just one of these memory palace weirdos. These oh. people who are able to, using various memory techniques, 
construct systems that allow them to remember either long series of numbers. Like or, what was that? 150 people in the audience? I don't know how many people it was. Because it's nothing compared to what these weirdos can do. Right. Like people can what remember. What is that? Mnemonics or what is that goofy? No. Right. It's, yes. Yeah. Some people have crazy good mnemonic devices that they're able to memorize incredibly but, like, long strings they can, of like read a list of a thousand nouns and just remember all of them after studying it for like a minute and a half. Right. Right. So that's my, my best guess is that he's probably right because he's somebody who he says, even in the show, it takes you eight years to learn how to hold a deck of cards. Right. And he's very good at holding a deck of cards. It would not surprise me at all if he's also developed that makes sense, one of yeah. a number of different memory techniques to simply memorize in 20 or 30 minutes during the pre-show before he walks out there what each of the people in each of the seats, what their noun is, right? right? And especially since he probably repeats the same deck of cards every night, it becomes way easier the longer that he does it. Right. So it's just it's functionally just a very cool card trick. And he could yes. have he could have had them pick anything or a, a card from a deck or anything, but he chooses to tie it to their self-imposed self-identity and then has them self-select for the most emotionally fraught members in the audience when he right. says only stand emotionally up. invested maybe fine but also fraught but and a lot of them stood up though like i mean they're kind of slowly getting up they're like uh, okay and then there's a lot of people he was guessing right it's no different than a transcendent religious experience except that it's centered around the individual and their feelings about about themselves right. rather than being about something external. This is so, and this is where I get into, I'm, I'm going to be walking out onto a limb here. So forgive me. Uh-oh. This is the, the actual inverse of what art is or should be in, in my understanding of what art is. So art is an expression of the artist's individuality or understanding or mystification about the world right. in the hopes that the audience will see in them and in the outside world, right. something that they recognize in themselves, right? right? Religion, for these purposes, is the opposite of what I just described, which is an attempt to convince the individual that they are seen by the relevant outside authority. Right. In the case of a gathering of secular liberal elites, the relevant authority is the people in that room. It's everyone around them in that theater. In the case of a traditional monotheistic organized religion, the relevant authority that cares for you as you are, you precious snowflake, is God. Right. And that's the only that's the only difference. It's it's a. But I guess this is inevitable, right? Because a lot of people like the community part of religion, but not the religion necessarily itself. So they're trying to form these communities and like these shared experiences to say we have this in common and we're the same right. in this regard. So when I, yeah. right, absolutely. But what it's I'm the saying same is people. that's no. the, in, it's the yeah. same people. Right. And it's the inverse of what art is. Right. right. So don't go telling me that this is a work of performance right. art when all this is, is it's church. It's church <laughs> yeah. for secular liberal yeah. elites. Art. Yes. <laughs> masquerading as art. It's not that this is a, this is an entirely inwardly focused thing. Right. All of the work is being done by the person thinking about themselves. He and how, put a lot of work into no, that. No, I'm not denying how hard Joel Osteen works either. I'm not denying how hard any of these people work. Right. I'm not denying that he's an incredibly skilled magician and 
and a decent storyteller. But what yeah. he what he is most of all is like on an almost pathological level is an emotional manipulator. But you know, um, I I don't like you 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 hate it. It's what how you describe. Like I don't I didn't like it the way that it ended. But like I can't begrudge people that are into that sort of thing. Oh, that's what you're into like and, and right. not the difference between when i say that i hate something most people who say that they hate something they're like oh give me my fucking 90 minutes back you asshole right. I, I i want my money back or whatever i never feel that way once okay. i've interacted with something and hated it like right. i i hate it and i'm really glad that i hate it it's I'm, almost <laughs> better to hate it right it is <laughs> way better to hate it whether it's watching tom brady win another fucking super bowl and being able to hate that or whether it's this stupid Derek Dalgadio one-man show and being right. able to hate that. Right. Uh, Do you think that – because the reason why I, I, I wouldn't – I mean, I hate, like, for example, Peyton Manning, but I don't hate most things. Uh, do you think that he was dishonest in a dishonest way? Like, I mean, do you think people know what this whole thing is? Unlike the, the John Edward fella who seems to be uh, – dishonest in how he characterizes his ability to communicate with people that are, that are dead. Like he, he's not doing that. No, I don't think that he's, he's not lying about any of that. Right. I just think his project, I think it's a, like, is this a, it, so at the end of the show, I imagined myself walking out and going like, wait a second, was that anything? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, yeah. because yeah. the answer to that question is no. So even Look. though, Hundreds of people walked out of that feeling this huge emotional cathartic release. Of Not only some, that, and some of them would go to the corner of the, oh, that stupid brick is there, and they, they would record. Right, and they felt that transcendent experience, right. but it was, in, it, in fact, it wasn't anything, and that's the trick that he's playing. That's obviously, that's the real magic trick that's being but played there. But is it there. art to him? I don't know that, and that that becomes something that doesn't matter. Because that's what matters, whether or not something's art, is if it's art to the artist. Yeah, well, and speaking of emotional manipulation, the other thing that he does in the in the middle chunk of the show, when he tells the story about the brick, yeah, and so I'm trying to imagine a more perfect victim for this cultural moment in terms of being able to stretch. To where you're recognized as victim by more corners of the culture. And I don't think, I think that he nailed it, right? And so he, what he does is he presents himself as the son of a, of a gay, of a, a lesbian woman. Oh, yeah, right? that was his hook, right? Yeah, I was wondering so the, what is, yeah, okay. He creates, the way that he creates that emotional connection between the audience and himself, because it, at first, it's actually very off-putting. He doesn't. You do not feel an emotional connection to him in the first act of the show when he's just explaining how he was sitting in a bar and he sort of insinuates that he either was or is an alcoholic and he comes across this guy who calls, calls him the ruletista. So it's alienating because you don't know what the fuck that word means. Yeah. Uh, right? You're imagining him in a foreign country talking to a stranger in a bar, which is not a very sympathetic character. And also, he's suggesting that he has a secret hidden past or present that he's currently ashamed of, right? So right. he's not, in the first act of the show, a particularly sympathetic figure. Right. Then 
he he twists it so that he becomes the perfect victim for this cultural moment where he's not LGBTQ himself, or if he is, he doesn't present himself as such. But he, he, he is one of the lettered, right? Like ally. I'm sure there's some sort of goofy letter. Sure. There but he, what he presents himself as is a victim of the bigotry of right. people who do not like LGBTQ people. Anyway, so he presents himself as that victim. He's ashamed of his shame, which he feels or felt 20 years ago right. when his mother was becoming gay. So he has it both ways, where he he both did the thing where he felt ashamed because his mother was gay, but also he's ashamed of that shame. Right. So he's, he's a reformed, he's woke now, uh, but also still he was the victim of the bigotry by proxy. Right. right. So I don't think that you could shape. You could not, and he did invent it. I'm I'm assuming, but or at least he dressed it up. Yeah. You cannot imagine a more perfect victim for this cultural moment than that guy. The and that's how he not makes that victim? connection. Like I mean, it's like, it's like secondhand smoking, almost like nothing directly. It's just like through his relationship with his mom is how he right. Got but what is the feeling in the audience, especially his audience? Yeah. Right. About that, that is a that is a moment of like, oh, the poor child, your poor mother, the right. poor everything. Right. It's ninety minutes of just pure emotional manipulation. And but there's e- a lot of cool sleight of hand in it. Yeah, yeah. that part is fun. Even but even the funny bits, because there are moments of levity, but all of the funny bits are thrown in in service of like how important the thing right. is happening. Like the the laughs are like. Here's this super serious thing that's happening. Oh, but we can, we can, it's okay to laugh about it. But that's only in service of how important this moment is. This is, this is a happening in the way that, like, when you hear about people talking about the 60s and, like, oh, a happening, like, this is, there's this big event and it's a, we call it a hap, like, this is that sort of thing. This is like that Berkeley in the park bullshit. Right. Where the, the guy spins a tail and everybody has this great emotional moment and then goes their separate ways and in the long run has no impact on anything. Right. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, speaking of in the long run with no impact on anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can email the show, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Just search Cast Iron Brains. Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Delgadio. Hated it. <laughs> Enjoyably, though. I enjoyed Would my you recommend with people it. watch it anyways? Just uh, it really depends on the person. I would say it depends on the person and what mood they're in. Yeah. I think the same person could hate it and be neutral on it and love it at just different moments. Right. Probably not me. Has he done no, any not you? <laughs> but like, if you're in the mood for some like quasi artsy, mind ready feeling stuff, then it's good. Right. But if you're not in the mood for that, just go watch 24. <laughs> Has he done anything else or just like his? He's won a bunch of uh, magician awards. Okay. Would you recommend it to people? Yeah, I think uh, just to see if. There's got to be some people that I know that, that are going to love it, right? I just want to hear... Religious people will like it. Right. I think that the more religious a person is, the more they'll like it. Oh, you think so? It's not... I don't think it's... I know why you're saying that. I think it's the more... And maybe this is a distinction without a difference. 
So I don't know if you mean when you say the more religious a person is, the more the explicitly more Catholic. Be, but yeah, I, not I, what I when I when I think about what who I think this will most appeal to, it is the people who are most open to the religious instinct. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like genetically religious, spiritually not, inclined. Like you're yeah, spiritually you know. inclined. Right, because I don't think that the majority of the people who walked out of that show feeling like they had a transcendent experience would call themselves religious no now, they I would, wouldn't right. but only because they weren't born into the right family yeah right abe i know you're reading the giver now you finished I have the read great it. <gasps> by the way oh, I've you finished read that the giver one? as well I, I, yes uh, man just flying through this go, seventh grade curriculum <laughs> that's right going back to uh my am i the asshole one this is another book people are never happy right like this stupid kid <laughs> Are you, perfect, did you not appreciate the dystopian it, society into which these a, children were born? They had a good system going, and oh, you wanted to see the color red, <laughs> and now you can ruin everything. Like, get out of here! These people. Maybe I would have had a different take when I was in the seventh grade. But Abe, I want, you to, I want you to read. I want you to read Mouse, uh, Holocaust Mouse story, and then and then I want to hear your your status quo take on what the mice should have done in the face of the Nazi cats. What's the title? No, see. This Jonas, the, the character, he wasn't living in Nazi land. He was living in a pleasant world. Everybody had rules, and they followed things. You played with your friends. Easy living. And he fucked it up. But, yeah, I'll read this little mouse story. You're going to get to 1984, and you're going to be on the side of the party. And, and <laughs> Abe and I both. <laughs> well, like I would say, rules if are there good. Was, Just if stay I in did, line. If, if I lived another life, like a long time ago, I was probably like some evil asshole. Because sometimes no, kind of. you were. How did you? you how did you just spring, stayed in line. How did you spring from the people who decided that what they had to do was cross fucking continents <laughs> for the good of their family? <laughs> they did all the work. They made good choices. Abe doesn't have to anymore. That is true. But I'm not inclined to want to do those things. I would have been like, you know, that's not so bad. You know, we're all poor. We have nothing. But. Eh. I reread The Great Gatsby one and a half times in the last week because I finished it and realized that I'd probably only read it five or six times in my life up to this point. And this is a book that should be read at least once a year, probably. It's a good by book. By somebody like me. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. And the reason that I we won't talk about it at length is because I have this feeling that this is a book that I could write a 20 hour podcast about like, I don't, like this isn't anything that's going to happen. So don't worry. But I think that I could, I could do an hour on each chapter and then another subsequent hour on each character, which would get you to about 20 hours worth of podcast. I, this is a work of just a staggering work of achievement in American letters. And I'm wondering what your verdict on the great Gatsby is, Abe. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as you. I, I, I get caught up in the story, like I, the choices these people keep on making. Like that guy could have just had the money and stopped sticking <laughs> around. Like people always do, like almost the right thing, and then they go one step too far. And then I mean, it it would be like I think you mentioned it would be a terrible book if they just made rational decisions all the time. But but yeah, it was it was funny. It was a pretty good book. It's a pretty good book. <laughs> um. I cannot hyperbolize about this book enough, and it, it makes me just furious. Like, 
the reading the great gatsby by f scott fitzgerald leaves me alternately speechless and then furious at the fact that it even exists because it's the best writing always looks incredibly easy right right it, it like looks it effortless looks, but it, it it a lot looks of like it just yeah. must have poured onto the page yeah. from his brain and that no work was required. Right. But I know for a fact that he agonized over sentence by sentence and paragraph by paragraph and literally comma versus M dash by M dash, how this work was going to turn out. And it's just an absolute masterpiece. And that that is... It's so easy to say and such an accepted part of the sort of zeitgeist that it... It sounds cheap and easy, but it is as good as as its reputation. Yeah. It's so good that I agree with what Bob just said. It's like when I watch when I watch a movie like The Graduate, and I say, "Man, this movie has a stellar, perfect reputation, and nobody appreciates how good it is." Is that a good like, movie? <laughs> I haven't seen. That's Abe. Hey. <laughs> is that the one where uh, like somebody seduces somebody, like some? Yeah, someone seduces someone. Yeah. You should go watch it. Right. There are some works. There are works of art that are that are able to sum up the whole country. And and what's insane about reading this, which is set a hundred years in the past, yeah. is how it also was written a hundred years in the. I mean, ninety right. years it, in the past. It, right. Like, it, it was written, but it, but it's it's the, completely yeah. bonkers yeah. that this they say history rhymes or repeats, right? It's as though F. Scott Fitzgerald invented America in, in 1930, and then we just followed the script right. for the next 100 years. Right. It's impossible, but the reason is because the same stupid story uh, is the same story that we've been telling ourselves uh, all along. Right. And some people are just able to get it on paper. You also have two movie versions to watch. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. A, one from the 70s with uh, Robert Redford. And then, of course, the the Baz Luhrmann and Leo DiCaprio one, which oh, I recall the... liking. I only saw it once. Uh, it's I'd, fine. I'd like it's not it as again. good as it could have been, but it's pretty good. And again, it's a book that's been analyzed to death by you know it's part of the it's part of the canon for a reason. But but holy shit, what a book! You got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight. Then we will talk to you next time. Later. So what is it that you like about it? That it discourages yeah, yeah. gambling. <laughs> Lori's just mad because I'm not mad. There was a promotion. Your if your first bet at FanDuel and last and last right. You bet up to $5, they would pay out 55 to 1 if you picked the winner correctly. I should have gone with my gut, and whatever opposite of Bob says is what I should have done. Yeah. But I didn't do that. So Lori put $5 on the Chiefs to win with a potential payout of $275. Oh, wow. And, oh, uh, and been, lost. That would have been great. I only lost $5. It's fine. Yeah. The smart thing would have been... What I told my friend, who will remain nameless, to do. They both were new, so they each bet against or for different teams. Okay. So no matter what, the household. Gotcha. Sh- she and her husband, the household was going to win money. Right. 
So that was smarter. Anyway, I lost some money, but it's totally fine. Yep, I, uh, totally fine. Just lose a bunch of money. <laughs> lose a bunch I'll of money. I'll go to work again. I lost a very, lost a very small amount of money. Uh, <laughs> most of most of which was provided by my friends at FanDuel. I'll have That's you note. Right. I never owned any doge coin because that's a stupid thing to do right. but this weekend elon t- tweeted that he just tweeted one word it was just doge and a picture of the stupid thing yeah. and all of a sudden doge coin shoots up like 400 percent, and it goes from being a fraction of a fraction of a cent to being worth a penny and then and then all of a sudden it's worth a nickel and then it's worth seven Ooh. eight and it's got but that's the thing there are people who have hundreds of thousands or right. millions of yeah. these things yeah in their digital wallets because they've never been worth anything, right? Gotcha. I was just dicking around on my phone and I bought $25 worth of Doge. Ooh, look at and, you. And then like two hours later, I sold it and I made $3.50 on something that isn't worth any, like it's right. worth absolutely nothing. Right. And I did the same thing the next day and I ended up making like $9 total on this stupid thing. And it will eventually collapse because it's literally not worth anything. It's yeah. just a st- stupid game that these people are playing and the extent to which it actually mirrors the financial system in a meaningful way is terrifying yes <laughs> it's crazy uh, anyway back to the uh stupid nostalgia commercials i have a reputation on this podcast of uh, dumping on young women so that, I, with that I, I in mind the trend yes <laughs> I was amused. How dare you! I was amused by the fact 